0: Hey guys, Brian Jodis here for another episode of Pick Up the Six podcast. I want to tell you about a great deal our friends at Bottle Breacher have going. What's really cool is our guest today is the guy who started the company. Some more on that coming up. The code to use sitewide at BottleBreacher.com is P-U-T-6. It's going to save you 15% off all the way through this month of February. And that's sitewide. Get whatever you want. So get over to BottleBreacher.com and get shopping. They have great stuff, including those 50-cal bottle openers. They're made from that spent brass. They're awesome. They also have those grenade openers as well. I love Bottle Breacher. Was an early supporter after they run Shark Tank all those years ago. So go to bottlebreacher.com, use the code PUT6 and save 15% off this entire month of February. Get over there, support them. Veteran owned, great company. Love what they're doing. Eli Crane has raised his hand for service before. As a Navy SEAL, he's been tasked with carrying out our country's work across the globe and after that chapter of his life he took a leap of faith in starting a company called bottle breacher by making bottle openers out of used up 50 cal brass now he's raising his hand again and running for congress let's get after it with Eli on this episode of pick up the six podcast Eli what's up bro how are you I'm doing
1: good Brian thanks for having me man
0: Man, I am thrilled and pumped to do this. Uh, we had the chance to talk with Eric Holman, who's running for Congress down in Texas, former Air Force Special Operator. Now we get uh, what I consider a real blessing and a gift to have you on the show with us today. And man, just pumped to get to know you a little bit and and hear about your journey that brought you to the SEAL teams, that led you to Bottle Breacher. And now it's got you saying, hmm, I'm ready to do something else. So, man, first and foremost, dude, just thank you.
1: No, thank you, man. It's uh it's been an honor and uh Privilege and even a blessing, so I'm I'm grateful.
0: Yeah, the blessing are those that I think that we get to meet along the way in these journeys. And we're on just audio today, but you're wearing a pretty cool Chris Kyle shirt. I know Chris was someone that was close to you, part of your Navy journey, uh, as he was a commander of yours in the SEAL team. So we'll talk a little bit about him and and just that journey. You get in in September of 2001, and that's a heavy, busy time for our nation. Uh, as we uh, fall prey to just terrible attacks on our shores. And so, man, just take me back into that time frame. And, and you, uh, you decided to join the military. And, and what, what's kind of going through your head back in that time?
1: Yeah, I was actually a senior at the University of Arizona when uh, uh, the attack of September 11th took place. And um, so, like many Americans, I was pretty shocked and stunned. To see that happen here, I was angry Mm and being honest, um, wanted a little revenge. And uh, I also wanted to make sure that uh, stuff like that, you know, wasn't possible in the future. Um, And so I actually dropped out of school uh, the very next week and uh, joined the Navy and, you know, started my career, spending the next 13 years of my life in some capacity, um, trying to accomplish you know the little that one individual can do but you know wanted to be a part of uh you know chasing down evil
0: yeah for sure like like many that were impacted by that day uh was it seals or bust for you or was it just get in the military and see what the see what the plan would be
1: 100 i i don't think you know anybody that wants to go into special forces i think that you know, they're pretty cautious of the SEAL teams because in ways, because it's, it is the hardest training in DOD. But the other thing too, is if you don't make it through SEAL training and most people don't, then you're going out to a ship most likely like I did, uh, because I failed the first time. Um, and so it was definitely SEALs or bus. I had no desire to do anything else in the Navy.
0: What got you that first time that, that sent you on the journey to have to try to come back and get back into it?
1: You know, I think it was several things. I think it was uh, immaturity. I think it was uh, a lack of preparation. Um, I'll be honest, I got some pretty, pretty poor advice as well. But at the end of the day, uh, just taking ownership of it, I didn't show up uh, prepared enough. I was, you know, immature, and I wasn't ready for that show yet. And so I had to, uh, like many people, I did pick myself up, dust myself off, and uh, try again.
0: How long was that journey back? And and ultimately from really 9-11-2001 is kind of the the marquee moment that launches that path for you to where Trident on chest, right? How long's that journey? What's that look like?
1: Yeah, it took me two and a half years to get back. And then it took me um, another year to make it through training and earn my Trident or become a SEAL. And, uh, and then I started deploying immediately with SEAL team three.
0: So sort of 2006 to 2014 timeframe, if I've got that correct, right. Uh, we're deploying with SEAL teams and, and active in that, and it's a busy time, man, happening around the globe.
1: Yeah, it was a busy time. There's a lot going on around the globe and, um, you know, um, I'm, I'm grateful that, that I got to serve in a, a time, you know, I, I, I know a lot of, men and women who have uh, sacrificed a lot, um, with their families and even their health and so many other areas, um, serve at a time where they really don't get to, um, actually go and test themselves and, 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 you know, get to experience that. And that's, that sounds, that sounds really odd and awkward, um, to a lot of people. Like, why would you, you know, why would you even put it that way? It's, you know, the SEAL team's, uh, and special forces and even, you know, being in the Marines or the army, it's like a lot of other jobs, you know, I mean, there's the part of you that understands that war is horrible and you never want to, you, you, once you experience it, you learn how, you know, even more so, you know, awful it is, but there is a part of you, um, you know, that wants to test, you know, your training, you want to get an opportunity to, um, you know, experience what you've trained for, and so, um, you know, it, it is a dichotomy in that way, but I am grateful that I, I got to serve, um, you know, during a time where I felt like it wasn't just, you know, a bunch of training ops that yeah. needed us. And, uh, you know, I got, got to experience that.
0: Yeah, you guys are busy taking care of really important work. Uh, part of that is serving under uh, the legend, man. <laughs> you know, you think about sort of these larger than life kind of characters through this is very, very fortunate, man, the second episode of this podcast dating back to about a year ago, we had Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Spanky Peterson on he flew the payfock helicopter that picked up Marcus Luttrell. And I remember watching, and I've watched Lone Survivor, man, probably a dozen times. But I remember the time that I watched it before talking to Spanky. And you know, everybody kind of knows Marcus, right? Marcus has become this legendary figure his brother, Morgan running for Congress right now, like you are in the state of Texas in different states. I was like, man, who's the guy that who's the guy that's flying the helicopter, right? Went and got him. You know, that's spanky. Right. Part of that crew. Uh, and uh, you know, Chris, Chris is like that, I think. Chris Kyle's like that too. If anybody's watching American Sniper, you got to serve under his command. So what was that experience like? What was he like as a as a commander? I know he wasn't wasn't a big fan of you stepping in on day one because you're a new guy who needed some some training. So tell me a little bit about that relationship.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and it, it wasn't thankfully it wasn't just me uh yeah. Chris spread his hatred of new guys out to <laughs> all of us in uh Delta Charlie Platoon and even outside of, of those platoons that fell under Task Unit 2 which um, Chris was a part of and I was a new guy and and so you know it was it was tough just because Chris was all about the tough love um you know and Chris wanted us to you know pay our dues and uh he loved knowing that we we were walking around an eggshell. So, uh, you know, I, I, I take the, uh, you know, the, you know, the optimistic point of view of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, You know, there were definitely times during that that, you know, weren't comfortable. I didn't, you know, it it was, it was a tough, it was a tough period, especially, you know, in my case, um, I was just married. And when I worked for Chris, um, I had a newborn baby at home. So, You know, not only did I was I getting it um, both barrels at work, but then come home and then, you know, had a a newborn baby sleeping in, you know, in my bedroom and, you know, keeping us up in the middle of the night. So it was a rough couple of years, Mm. but, uh, uh, you know, I think it was a, you know, one of the things that's prepared me to, you know, do what I'm doing today.
0: Yeah, for sure. I know you're, I know you're a faith guy. How much did you wear that on your uniform, right? Wear that on your sleeve. Uh, during your military career? Cause I know some guys are different, right? About how much they talk about it, how much they weave it into what they're doing. You got to be able to com- compartmentalize what you're doing. But I talked to Jeff Struker about it, who was part of black Hawk down. And he talked about putting it on like armor and heading yeah. out with it.
1: Yeah. I think it, you know, it's been a progression for me. Um, you know, I think most guys that have worked with me on a personal level know that that's a big part of my life. Um, but also, You know, as I've gotten closer to God, it's been one of the things that I'm definitely, um, definitely not bash. I've become less bashful about less, and I I I never want to force or you know try and push my faith on anybody. But it is the bedrock of my life. Um, It's the best thing in my life. It's the thing that gives me more hope than anything else. Um, And uh, it also it shapes the way I see the world, and also you know, where I fit in it. I think, you know, I was listening to a, one of my favorite teachers a while ago, and he said, you know, theologically, like the top four questions that every human being has is, who am I? Why am I here? Why is the world so screwed up? And what can I do about it? Right? Mm. So as I as I view those questions through my faith, um, it really helps me to, one, understand that this, this story, that that we live in it's not about me it's never been about me it will never be about me and that takes a that takes a load off especially when we live in the generation of the selfie right Mm -hmm. Uh, where you know selfishness is just like it it abounds it's it's everywhere it's you know standard operating procedure and you know i'm no stranger to it myself um you know but it's just um you know, my faith is it's such a big deal to me. And while I was at the SEAL teams early on, it, it, as I'm growing my faith and growing my relationship with Christ, um, you know, it's definitely something that, you know, people around me knew about me. But it's definitely as I've gotten older, more mature, that relationship has, you know, mm. and my maturity in my faith has has uh, blossomed. It's something that I think I, you know, project a lot more.
0: Yeah. You know, I found. In these last three, four, five years, and I get close to 40 years old, r- roughly the same age, right? Like just the ability to even articulate it more, uh, right. be able to speak to it more. And for me, it's been just from proximity, proximity around other people, other men specifically, that articulate it well. I'm like, Oh, yeah, I feel the same way. Let me let me say it this way, right? Let me talk about it from this standpoint. And yeah. Right. More of that sort of ability to sort of check yourself out of the story, right? Um, and Because ultimately, there's one that's come before all of us that gets all the credit. You know, And how can we be a part of uh, guarding that legacy? Right? I think we're guardians of Christ's legacy. It's part of our job here on earth to be that. Uh, and, I, and I like to think that our loved ones who have gone before us kind of stand up there behind them with locked shields as guardians of it as well. Which I think is uh, kind of a neat way to to think about it. Um, all right, man, let's keep chatting a little bit about sort of what that service is like, and and ultimately what becomes sort of this transition out of the military and into something really cool with with uh, with bottle breacher, which I think is just really awesome. I, I legit, I'm not, no bullshit, man. Watching Shark Tank years ago, <laughs> see this guy and his wife come on the TV, talk about this company. Man, we're gonna take. He's used 50-cal uh, bullets, and we're going to make bottle openers out of them. And I was like, well, I'm ordering one of those right away. Uh, it's sitting in my house today. We use it all the time, <laughs> which is pretty neat. Uh, so, man, you know, transitioning, right, post-military career. I think as the story goes, a mutual friend of mine, we'll leave his name out of this, so there's no intel breach, but he's a team guy, said, ask him about how he had to sell his favorite motorcycle and basically convince yeah. people he's going to start this company up.
1: Yeah. You know, um, I was at a point where I was still in the Navy, uh, when we started this company and I was doing instructor duty at the time and we had two young kids I think we had a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Um, so some, some definite, um, you know, intense parenting going on. And then, uh, yep. I was, I was an instructor in the Navy, um, running a VBSS cell at the time. Um, which is like visit, board, search, and seize. Basically, when you see guys on television like attacking a ship or taking down a ship, that's the type of training that um, that I was involved in instructing. And uh, my wife had a successful online business at the time. And I had this idea to you know uh, start this company, Bottle Breacher. And really, it wasn't even to start out as a company. It really wanted to see if we could sell a product, right? And so we, we started, we started small. I learned in the SEAL teams, crawl, walk, run, crawl, walk, run, don't start running until you've proven that you can crawl. And then, mm-hmm. slow. and it's all really about risk mitigation, really. Um, and so, you know, we started it, it was off to a good start. And, um, you know, I, uh, I knew that we needed to put some branding on the product. And so I started doing some research, research led me to laser engraving. And unfortunately, laser engravers, imagine that are really expensive. And so even a used one was, even used ones were over $10,000 at the time. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I can, I can risk my family's nest egg on an unknown or something that I've, I don't even know if I can figure out how to work it or incorporate it into our business, but I think there's a place for it. So what I did was, um, is I sold my favorite motorcycle, which was just a, a total badass uh, chopper. Mm. Uh, it looked like a soft tail, or it looked, yeah, it looked like a hard tail, but it was actually a soft tail, and it had like a pretty wide 180 tire in the rear, and just had a 117 cubic inch motor. I mean, it was pretty fast, and just San Diego was the best place to have a, uh, you know, a motorcycle. And so that well, was like, weather's a- good
0: all the time, right? Like get after it.
1: Absolutely. And so I sold that bike. And then, you know, for like, I think like 11, $11,000, I bought the engraver for like eleven five. And what I what I learned later after reading the book, rich dad, poor dad is I, I didn't know at the time, but I did something smart. And w- what Robert Kiyosaki talks about in that book, he talks about, um, you know, what wealthy people teach their kids is to buy assets, not liabilities or mm-hmm. things you don't buy things that cost you money. Buy things that make you money. And so, I sold something that was costing me money. Um, I bought something that started making me a lot of money. And then I just kept doubling down on that. And you know that that's the kind of the the chopper motorcycle story.
0: Well, it's a great way to look at. It. I mean, you know, you, you had to give up. You, you had to give up something you wanted, right? Like, of course, you don't want to sell your bike. Like, yeah, man. In an ideal world, you have it, but it's sort of a selfless act. Like, all right, look, this is the thing I've got to part ways with without digging myself into some debt here at the start of this company. Like what's a, what's a way we can do that. What was the journey like, man, once, once you got going and getting it started, um, just, uh, now, now you got a company, right? Like, Oh man, we're selling these things. How, how quickly yeah. did you see it blow up and what was it like being on the show? And, and that must've been huge for early success.
1: Yeah, it was, um, this was, this was a company that kind of, uh, had magic dust on it right off the bat. Like it was, and, and keep in mind, I want to, you know, give credit where credit is due. Like I was, you know, I was a dude getting out of the military at 35 years old. I, I knew I was getting out. I had 13 years in people were telling me, Hey, why don't you just do another seven years and then retire? That's the smart thing to do. You can get your retirement. Um, and, and there's a lot more stability that, that route. Uh, most people don't change careers at 35, right. And do something mm-hmm. completely. So I was doing a lot of praying, man. I, I was, uh, my prayers were like, all right, Lord guide me and direct me. I feel like you're calling me away from the military, calling me into something else. You know, um, what do you want me to do? Um, you know, will you bless what we're doing? And, uh, and, and th- that was the constant, that was the constant prayer. And, uh, you know, not only did God guide me and direct us out of the military, but he definitely blessed it. And, you know, um, and that was, honestly, I was really, I was on the struggle bus at that point in my life in, in many ways. Um, you know, I was knowing that I was getting out. Um, I, I started to, one of, one of my new guys had been killed right before I got out after i left the platoon and uh and then uh another guy was killed a couple years later and uh i definitely was struggling with survivor's guilt i think there might have been a little bit of ptsd in there I, I really don't know i was never diagnosed with that but i had i had some real anger and some real mm. uh, some real uh it you know emotional stuff going on inside me. And uh I tried to keep it bottled up. I tried to, I didn't want people to know that about me. I didn't want people to know that I couldn't handle it and um that I didn't have what it took to be a good husband and a good father and run this business. And you know, it was uh it was actually uh a Christian men's retreat called Wild at Heart. Um and John Eldridge wrote the book Wild at Heart, you know, I think a couple of decades ago. And now now his ministry they do a A boot camp up in Colorado, Um, and it's a weekend long, and it changed my life. Mm. And uh, I was even—I was a Christian, you know, since I was a little kid. But this this event changed my life, and so um, you know, it it was definitely a tough road, especially me and my wife learning to work together because up to that point we hadn't even lived together that much, and I was dealing with some, you know, you know, I was struggling with some real. And so, you know, it was it was a struggle, but it was a blessing at the same time. Not only did it expose a lot of uh, issues within our marriage, it exposed a lot of um, stuff that I needed to uh, a lot of wounds that I needed to get healed up so that I could go on and, you know, pursue the next mission that God had for me. And so um, it, it was a struggle and it was a challenge, but I'm grateful for it.
0: Yeah, man, that's you know not most people, but some think, you know, sort of throw one prayer up there, you snap your fingers, everything falls in place, business keeps growing. I think it's important for us to hear about those moments in which adversity hits, because like, like we know, right, like, times are undefeated as, as challenges and tribulations come our way, right? Like, they've been there since the beginning, they'll be there until the end, we'll always have tribulation, right? He tells us in Matthew, like, look, you're gonna have, you can have challenges, you can have hard times, but be of good heart, be of good cheer, right? In this world, even though you have challenges, I've overcome it. So there's a lot of confidence I think you can take in that. And My thought is, and again, this is our opinion, right? This is just two guys' opinion and how we believe is that because he overcame it, well then, all right, we can do we can do everything we need to down here. And it left us sure. the, the path to be able to do it. That's my perspective, I don't think it's yours as well. One of the things you guys talk about, I know with Bottle Breachers are letting men be men in America today. <laughs> which I think is important. Give me a perspective on that.
1: I I couldn't agree more. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of sad, you know, sad to, you know, see to me how our culture and society has quote unquote evolved to this point. And I, I think there's been a war on masculinity for decades and I don't know how deep we want to go into it here on this podcast, you know, that, you know, I don't know how much time we have to go into it, but Uh, It it is it is tough it is tough to watch, Um, and I definitely believe it has there there are spiritual ramifications to it. Uh, um, I don't feel it. I don't believe it's good for our culture. And uh, you know, it's this is one thing that you know I've I've made a point that you know I'm I'm going to celebrate masculinity. I'm going to celebrate femininity as well, and just how God created um, you know, his sons and daughters, humanity. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cave to wokeness or, um, some of the agendas out there. Um, and, 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 and I realized that, you know, I realize that sooner or later guys like me who, um, you know, practice the faith that we do, there's a good chance of being canceled, taken out, you know, I've already had experience and run-ins with that, but um, there's a scripture that says, "Whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven." And I got to be honest with you, um, I'm a lot more afraid of the God of this universe than what man can do to me. So, and that doesn't mean that I'm not afraid of what man can do to me because I know what man has done, you know, over the course of history to those that won't fall in line and uh join the team but i'm a lot more afraid of my heavenly father and you know what my eternity is going to look like um so i know where i'm taking my marching orders and you know that that might wind me in the hot seat it might wind wind me up getting canceled it, it might wind me in a lot of places and uh i just got to be okay with that because yeah I, if if i'm right about you know christianity um, this this earth and our experience here is just a tiny little fraction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know uh, what the eternal re our eternal reality is going to be, and so um, yeah,
0: yeah, Roger that. I didn't know you know I, I didn't ant- I knew we'd talk about this some. I didn't anticipate uh, we would go that in depth. But quite frankly, I'm glad we did. I think it's a, no, I think it's an important message, man. And I think your perspective is, and I totally agree with you. And I'm not just going to blow, you know, sunshine up your butt while we're on. I I, I agree with you. The way you articulate, I couldn't agree uh, anymore. And I got a feeling that that's part of sort of what's driving you now. And and I also get the feeling that you're one of those guys like, all right, you jump out of college to go into the military because of 9-11. You serve your country with pride. You're like, man, I ain't never running for any kind of political office. Like, that's not tracking at all. Uh, but we get to a point where, where you feel moved and motivated to do that. So now you're running in Arizona second congressional district. So tell me a little bit about how, how that falls in line. And, and when do you realize like, man, I got to step back up again and do something.
1: Yeah. You know, it was a combination of like it normally is. I think it was a combination of, um, just being a, you know, just watching what's going on in this country. Um, Unders- and also being a student of history and understanding that, you know, most empires eventually implode from within and watching what I believe to be um, the same thing going on in this country for a variety of different reasons. And then watching uh, this, this last election to me um, was definitely an eye opening experience. And I know that that's a, um, you know, a very controversial issue for a lot of people. I happen to believe that um, and, and I actually know that there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of fraud in the last election. And, and I happen to believe that this is going to be one of those things where it's going to kind of be like COVID where, you know, um, you know, there, there's this there's this certain event and then there's a narrative that's approved and the mainstream media pushes it. And anybody that counters that mainstream media uh, agenda or narrative is called a kook or a conspiracy theorist. And then, you know, over time, you know, six months, a year, a year and a half later, two years later, uh, people are starting to realize that not only was that not true, but there's actually been a lot of spin, a lot of cover up and, you know, just a lot of out and out lies put out there. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, this last election was a massive um, catalyst for me. Um, and then I had some, you know, I had, I've, I've been speaking. Um, I've been engaging in uh, conservative thought leadership for many years. Um, I've been looking for ways to, you know, in the field teams, we used to say, find work
0: mm-hmm.
1: don't on target uh, with your hands in your pockets, not doing anything. Cause there's always work to be done. So.
0: Yeah. Dude, be an asset, right? Be an asset. Get going.
1: You know, Eli Crane uh, makes video for, Dan Bongino, Eli Crane makes videos for Sean Hannity, Eli Crane, um, you know, makes video for this person or for that person. And honestly, at the end of the day, what I was trying to do is just engage in thought leadership, because I realized that a lot of what's going on in this country is ideological subversion, right? I um, mean, and there's a, if you ever, if your listeners want to go listen to and look up a guy named Yuri Bezmenov, mm-hmm. he's a KGB agent that, um, was doing videos probably back in the 80s and 90s, talking about how what the KGB was focused on and what communists were focused on to actually destroy the West. And he talks about how it wasn't it's not the fancy James Bond espionage stuff that we see, you know, in, in the movies. He's he's actually talking about hey, we actually we actually uh, implant operatives within academia, within uh, your media, within uh, Hollywood and And we we pump this ideological subversion or these narratives that are counterproductive to patriotism, unity, et cetera. And that's how we destroy you. And you know, so don't take it from me. go go listen to uh, XKGB officer talking about um, you know his experience, his knowledge of it. Um, but, yeah, I, I've been watching this stuff go on, and I'm just like, oh my God, we've been so blessed to grow up here and to enjoy. You know, the fruits and the freedoms of, uh, you know, this country that has Judeo-Christian, you know, uh, foundations and we have a Bill of Rights and a Constitution. And I look at what our founders did and, you know, they could have been selfish after um, after defeating the British and they could have, you know, um, gone back on what this whole experiment was supposed to be about. And they could have said, no, we're going to we're actually going to keep power to ourselves more of a tyrannical move. Yep. Uh, and consolidate power for themselves they could have done that but actually when when you look at the founding documents and the way that they wrote it up they actually wanted we the people to have the power right and i see that slipping away and slipping away and if you if you watch headlines and watch how things are moving it it, it becomes a lot more difficult to recognize what the actual intentions were of the founders you know especially when you look at what's going on with covid um, uh, the intentional loosening of our elections. Um, even, even, even people trying to racialize things like voter ID. I mean, it's so obvious. It's so obvious. Um, you know, that evil is afoot. foot, um, corruption is at foot. And it's like one of the, one of the worst tattoos that I ever got. It's not, and, and I'll say worse because it it's I love the saying, but it, it just was one of the worst tattoos I've ever got. It, it as evil triumphs when good men do nothing. And that's something that's always stuck with me. And and that's the thing, evil never sleeps, tyranny never sleeps. We we've gotten so complacent here. We're so complacent here because complacency is a byproduct of prosperity. It really is, and freedom. And it's like, you know, we've been at the top of the of the hill for you know, a couple centuries now where we're were, were complacent to the reality that even the United States, as great as it's been, as prosperous as it's been, as free as it's been, can still be destroyed. It's not not this invincible um, country and institution. It's just not. Neither was Rome, neither, you know, was the Ottoman Empire, neither was you know uh, neither were the Egyptians and then you just go on throughout mm-hmm. looking back at all these empires that have imploded and and then you study why and a lot of it is because of just complete foolishness and uh, a lot of it too because of, uh passivity yeah and it didn't step up men and women that didn't step up when they knew that they were supposed to so
0: yeah i'm with you man i just what what worries me the most is, look, we can have uh, differing policy opinions, we can have different faith backgrounds, we can disagree on a lot of things, but yeah. the shift that's happening pretty rapidly. And oh, by the way, I've seen that clip you're talking about with the KGB guy, it, it's bone chilling. Like, yeah. you watch your life, it's from years ago.
1: Oh, yeah, like, you're right. like,
0: Guys, it's right there in front of you, like, he's yeah. saying as clear as day, it, it's bone chilling. So we can have different opinions, right? We don't have to agree on things. We don't have to vote for Republicans, Democrats, whatever. Like, but But lost in all of it is what used to be and what should be a unifying message around our country, why it was founded, how it became in the first place, and how we should be able to rally around that from all walks of life. Because it is what makes us uniquely American is the fact that these guys came over, these 56 brave put their life and treasure on the line. They penned this incredible document and they checked themselves from the beginning. Yeah. Right. So now it's like, well, if you just now it's like, well, we shall right like to follow the science. Well we're now but science is discrediting things. It's so about like the founders wanted us to sort of push back and figure things out. And it seems like the challenge that I have is it seems like that's being taken away. And it's just much more comply. And yeah, COVID is part of it. But uh but there's just other ways where dude individual initiative like step up be yourself and be a part of something bigger than you but that i feel like that's getting squashed that's what i'm worried about the most
1: yeah yeah i mean uh i mean there's so many ways you see it you see it yeah. in censorship with you know big tech and hey this is the approved narrative. i mean you're seeing it gone right now with joe rogan um you know and listen right?
0: whether you like whether you agree with him disagree with him whether you're pissed about what he said whether you yeah. take no context in the way clips are put together it, the, but the fact that if it's just well we disagree with what he said then we've got to take them away that, that is so uniquely un-american and yeah. again i would say the same thing if somebody from the other side if someone i didn't agree with on policy said something outlandish it doesn't mean we ought to cancel means we should have a debate over those ideas
1: well that's the thing with free speech brian if you're really a champion for free speech you champion you fight for it the hardest when you disagree with it
0: more it's, than those you agree with. Yes. It's
1: easy it's easy to support speech you agree with. It's difficult to say I don't agree with what you're saying but I'll die for your right to say it. And that is that is the essence so much of the essence and the spirit of the American way of life. I mean how many countries around the world you know would it be allowed in a in a football or a soccer stadium to you know f Joe for an f Joe Biden chant to start it, you know uproaring I mean people would be thrown in jail in a lot of places around the country yeah saying that that's i I'm not even saying that hey you should participate in that type of thing I'm just saying we are we are blessed and fortunate to live in a country where you can say what you want to say, even when it is offensive to people. And the idea that we've lost this idea that that's when you need to fight the hardest for free speech, when you disagree with it, it's a little sad to me. It really, it really, and there, there are so many, like, if you don't like what, you know, like Whoopi Goldberg just got, you know, she just went on a a hiatus, you know, for some, you know, I think pretty stupid things she said, but uh, you're seeing this happen to people all, all the time and it's like look if you don't like what joe rogan says don't don't get his podcast tune out but it's like this this cancel culture and this like idea that everybody has to be perfect and you can't have said anything dumb or stupid or foolish or insensitive um in the past or we're going to cancel you and that means you can't you can't ever talk again that's something that eventually will eat its own it's a big problem every but every single one of us has said foolish stupid things in the past and it doesn't it's it's in my opinion it's dangerous and it's not in line with um you know what we should be fighting for and that's hey i disagree with what you said i think it i, would, I think it was a stupid thing to say but i'll fight for your right
0: fight to the death for you to say it yes i remember dennis prager once saying uh in reference to a coexist sticker and he said, sure. "We're losing sight of who we are in this country." He said, "Put a coexist sticker on your Prius and drive around Iran, and let me know how that works out." Yeah, right? we live Absolutely. in we live in one of, if not the most coexisting country on the entire planet, yeah. because of American ideals and r- largely because of the First Amendment. Right. What it for. man. I'm I'm so uh, I'm so excited for you in this journey. Can you tell us before we let you go? You got to get back on the trail, man. You got a lot of work to do. What's life in Arizona's second congressional district life, man? Like what's it like there on the ground where you live and and what's going on with people down there that you're trying to serve?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So this district, it's the largest district in the country that's not a standalone district. It's actually bigger than the state of Georgia. So for me, a lot of road time, you know, a lot of time in the car, just traveling around um, and just listening to people. Um, talking to people about, you know, who I am, my background and, you know, why they should possibly consider, uh, sending me to Congress. And so people in Arizona, they're really concerned about our elections. That's the, that's the number one issue here. And, uh, they're also really concerned about our Southern border, um, that is completely, uh, porous and there's no security whatsoever on our Southern border. Um, and then also I think, uh, Arizonans are really concerned about the economy, As well, and inflation that they see, um, which unfortunately is because of our own stupidity, uh, with within the leadership of this country. And they're also concerned about cultural issues, like you know having their kids be taught CRT and Mm -hmm. mask vaccine mandates. Those are the things that I think Arizonans are concerned about. And with the exception of maybe borders, I, I think the you know a lot of not just Arizonans but a lot of Americans are concerned about a lot of those issues as well.
0: Yep. All right. Before we go, you talked about maybe one of the worst tattoos you got, but I know you recently got a new one and it was part of kicking off your campaign. Man, It's in your campaign video. It's great. I don't think I've ever seen anyone running for political office uh, get tattooed live on camera. But then again, uh, the way Eric put his spot together, I don't know that I'd seen anyone running for office use uh, body cam footage as a combat controller on the ground during a war zone either, which is pretty badass. So you got inked up for that shoot uh, for the campaign and you can't just do it for a campaign ad because it's there forever. So what'd you get?
1: Oh, yeah, I got this uh, We the People tattoo right here. Nice. Um, I was pretty pretty thrilled when I saw the uh, the script for that ad come in. And, you know, that's been one cool thing about my team. They haven't tried to change me, yeah. you know, and, and I think that's what happens so often in, in the political world. And that was something that, you know, I, it was a non-negotiable from up front. You know, I told them, right up front, hey, this is this is how it's going to be. I'll definitely yield um, you know, on certain things where I'm not a subject matter expert, but when it comes down to who I am, what I'm going to be about, you know, I'm not a yes man and I'm going to be me. And if if you guys if that, you know, if if, if that's going to be an issue, then we're not doing this. So yeah. my my team has been awesome. They've been so supportive and it's one of the reasons uh that we're off to such a good start.
0: It's not like uh hey, Eli, we're going to need you um uh- could you put on some long sleeves today so we can cover the tats up? Like, no, man, no, we're not doing that. Right, right,
1: right. Yeah, um, so if people want learn more about the uh, our campaign and what we're doing out here, they can go to Eli4Arizona.com. That's Eli, F-O-R, Arizona.com. If you wanna follow me on social media, it's Eli, uh, Eli Crane, CEO, Eli Crane, CEO. So, man, Brian, I really appreciate the time, brother. And, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully it was uh, worth it
0: Oh, bro. Absolutely, man. You're welcome here anytime. We wish you nothing but the best on your journey. Guys, go check them out. Check out that website. If you feel so inclined, throw them some support, man. These guys need it uh, in what is a rapid time frame here. They're basically starting a small business and then shutting it down in uh, in less than a year. It's a wild ride. I've been a part of it for a long time. So check it out, man. Eli, we're just so grateful for you, man, sharing your story with us, uh, your journey, your faith, and how you're stepping up next. Thank you, man. Thank you. He is Eli Crane. I'm Brian Jodis, and this has been Pick Up the Six Podcast.